Jesus put before the crowd another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that sometimes took, that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measurements of flour until all of it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of a fine pearl. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into the basket, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all this? They answered, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. It's so good to be back here. Um, I, I said this probably twice now in the back, but walking back, I was like, oh, look, this, like, this area has been frozen in time for two years. So I'm so happy to see everybody still in their pew spaces and um, everything like that. So it is great to be back. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts Help us to live and love like you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I find myself saying more and more these days with a seven and five-year-old, words matter. Or do you even understand what that means? <laughs> Two Saturdays ago, we picked up Eliana from first camp at Luther Ridge, and she had a blast. It was so fun to hear about all of her adventures and to see how much in like one week my little girl just seemed to be a big girl at that same time. And as I was asking her a question, I couldn't quite, I can't remember what the question was, but I remember her response. She looked at me and she said, yeah, duh, mom, and rolled her eyes. And I realized at that moment that I picked up a teenager from camp and not my sweet little girl. Uh, <laughs> I thought, okay, this is something new that she picked up. Let me just try to ignore it, and I bet it's going to go away. It didn't. I let it slide. But then, duh, and eye rolls showed up everywhere. Eliana and I had to have this conversation about what duh and an eye roll really meant. Once she figured out how in some instances, duh, can come off as disrespectful instead of playful, she now has it pretty well figured out 
I actually really haven't heard her say it much again, but point taken, right? Because words matter. And in a book called How to Do Things with Words, the philosopher J.L. Austin makes the claim that contrary to popular belief, words don't simply describe things, but they actually make things happen. Words aren't merely descriptive, but they are suggestive. They even are creative. Take for instance, right, when two people are going to stand at the altar and say their wedding vows, the I do's, which are technically I wills, in the context of a marriage ceremony, they're not just describing a relationship that they're entering into, but with those words, they're creating the relationship that they're entering into. Or if somebody says, I love you or I hate you, we don't just hear those words, we feel those words too. So for this reason, Austin argues that you ultimately know what a word means, not from what it says, but from what the words do to you. Take for example, if I said, close the door, but I was looking at the back and I'm like, hey, can you guys close the door? That means one thing, right? If I'm um, needing a second to myself because I'm a parent of two kids and I say, close the door, it means something completely different. You don't know what it means until you feel those words upon you. Austin's words are a great introduction for us today because we have five super quick parables that happen but they have a ton of meaning built into them. The parables don't just describe what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is as much as they actually invoke some element of God's inbreaking reign and reality into our lives. The parables today invite people to be moved by the words and to feel the story to feel it in their bones, what it means when God gets involved in our lives and in the world. Jesus's parables remind us that the faith that we live and that the kingdom that we are bringing about isn't an intellectual idea, but an experience for people, an experience of the creative and redeeming power of God that continues to change lives amongst us. And sometimes the only way that we, to get beyond our heads and into our hearts is to, as Emily Dickinson says, tell all the truth, but tell it at a slant. And so parables come at us sideways, right? They catch us by surprise. Sometimes they take our breath away. Sometimes they make us scratch our heads. But we wonder about the beauty and the depth of God's promise. So what do these five parables today tell us? Well, the first two parables were spoken to Jesus, well, Jesus spoke them to the disciples and a crowd. But the last three parables are actually just spoken to Jesus's disciples. So let's break each of those down. The parable of the mustard seed is probably the most famous of the, all of the parables that were said today. In ancient Judaism, the mustard seed was seen as the smallest seed that produced this remarkably large plant. It became a sturdy, large tree that birds could nest in. 
But actually, mustard is considered to be a weed, and an invasive weed at that, because of how large and how fast it can grow from such a small little seed. And then you have the parable of the yeast, which speaks of the change a large mass of dough goes through by just a small amount of yeast. Probably both the mustard seed and the yeast are similar parables in that both talk about how a little thing grows into something larger. The difference with the yeast is the way that it's infused in the whole growing mass of bread as it rises. A slightly a different, different approach, but growth happens in both parables. Both of these parables at initial glance remind us that out of small hidden things, big growth can happen, providing a place for everyone to be shaded or food for all on the journey. But it's not just about how little things turn into great big things. It's more about how the kingdom of God really takes over everything around it. The mustard seed takes over a field that it is planted in. The yeast takes over the bread that it is put in. They are small, they may seem insignificant, they're easy to hide in dirt and flour, but when they are put into action, they change everything around them, like the kingdom of God. Then we come to the three parables that were talked about just to the disciples. These parables are linked through preciousness, right? The kingdom of God is worth more than every alternative life that this world has to offer. The parable of the hidden treasure um, is the first one that he tells his disciples. Because in ancient times, safe places to deposit money or valuables, well, they were hard to find, right? They couldn't just walk up to a bank to deposit all their money. Many thought that it was wisest to bury their possessions, their precious possessions, in the middle of their field. So in this parable, this man finds a treasure in the middle of a plot of land that isn't his, and it obviously has great worth. So he goes and sells everything that he has so that he can buy that plot of land just to have that precious treasure that he found there. And in the parable of the pearl of great value, it reinforces this enormous worth of the kingdom of heaven in that this pearl merchant finds one huge of of one pearl of huge worth and sells everything he has just to get that one thing. It doesn't imply that you can buy your way into the kingdom of heaven. That's not the point. Rather, the value of being part of the kingdom of heaven is what this parable is about. And our last parable is the fisherman, the fisher and the net. This was a familiar sight for those hearers from around the Sea of Galilee. They would regularly see fishermen come, they would bring in their hauls and they'd start to sort them, right? Here's the things that are edible, here's things that you can't eat. And so they, this was one of those things that things will be sorted, sorted in two different categories. The last three parables use words and imagery to invoke 
an extreme surprise or delight as we, ex as we experience or discover, maybe even just stumble upon the peace and joy and love in the kingdom of God. We would give everything up, everything that we have up just to be a part of it. The mustard seed and the yeast are small. They seem insignificant, but they change everything around them. And when we are changed, when we find that precious treasure that is the kingdom of God and we realize the goodness and hope that it invokes in us, we can't just let it go. Like the man who bought the land, the merchant who found the pearl, the fisherman with the good fish. These parables are not just descriptive for us but they are a call to action. These stories are more than just words on the page of our Bibles. We should be able to feel them in our souls. It is our guide for what is important and how to live our lives. Sometimes we might feel small and insignificant in comparison to the great treasure of God's love and grace, and we might question, who? Who am I to go out and proclaim God's wor word in this world? My life, just my little life, it can't change anything. But in these stories, we learn that because we know God's love and grace, because we have this hope and joy that comes from knowing God, we are called to use it. We are called to love others. We are called to show everyone we meet this love and this gift that has so graciously been given to us. We've got to show the world how real the kingdom is by how we conduct ourselves. And the first and best way that we can do this is to live and love like Jesus loved. Now, of course, Jesus did not reach everybody on the face of the earth during his time, and we surely won't either. And to some, Jesus appeared misguided, so we might appear misguided to some in this world as well. To others, Jesus seemed essentially ineffective, right? I mean, with all those unusual parables and teachings, and look at the people that he hung out with as well, right? Fishermen, greedy tax collectors, and women of questionable reputation who followed him around. So we too might be asked to justify why we are helping those that are unhelpable, why we clothe those who can't pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Why we hang out with people in prisons when they could never pay us back in the same way. Or why we give cold water or restrooms to those that are addicted, all in the name of living and loving like Jesus. So some might see us as misguided. Some might see it as ineffective. But we continue to try we continue to try to bring about God's kingdom, God's love, God's grace to a world that is hungry for God's kingdom, God's love, God's grace. There are so many people, our families, our friends, our neighbors, who need to hear a word of love and hope, of joy and forgiveness. And sure, we will not change the world, right? Like Jesus changed the world. 
but we never know how the small and significant things we do will affect people and change their lives. And so we continue our journey of faith with encouragement from those parables that Jesus can take our small, seemingly insignificant life and make something great of it. Because the kingdom of God is here and now. And before you know it, it will transform everything. So let us be part of the transformation knowing that God's words of hope and love call us to action over and over again. Be the invasive weed. Be the yeast that gets through everything because we hold on to a precious, precious gift that needs to be shared. Amen.